Uh, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's a privilege to be able to share a word with you today. For those of you next door in the venue or watching online, welcome, welcome, welcome. Ever since I was a little kid, I've loved to play the game with the tape measure. And the game with the tape measure is where you take it, and you just keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going to see how far you can get it out. And really, when you think about it, there's a science to it. Because if you go too fast, you're not going to make it. And you've got to keep an arch on it, but not too much of an arch, because if you get too much of an arch, the weight of the tape measure is going to break 10 feet. And as you keep going, you see that it starts to bounce, and sooner or later, you just can't keep it, keep it steady enough, and it cracks. And as much as I like playing that game, every one of us play the tape measure game in our minds. In our minds, we think, do we measure up? And we compare ourselves to other people. It started when we were little kids at school as we pulled that tape measure out. And we looked at the girl across the aisle from us and we said, am I prettier than she is? And as boys, as we looked at that other boy in our class as we went out to recess, and we said, am I faster than he is. And in class, when our teachers passed around the assignments and we started to hear about everyone's grades, we started to measure and we said, am I smarter than the other kids in my class? It didn't end in school. It just changed as we got older. When we became adults, that measuring stick still continued to go out. And only now, instead of thinking some of those simple questions, am I faster than the kids in my class? Now we start to think, do I have the fancier car than everybody else? Do I live in a nicer house? Do I live in a better neighborhood? We measure ourselves over and over, comparing ourselves to others. Nowadays, with social media, uh, it's only gotten worse. I know people that make a full-time job out of making themselves look their very best to an audience of their so-called friends. They take 47 pictures of their dessert to make sure that they have just the proper lighting, that the background looks beautiful before they post it on Facebook or Distractagram, wanting to find out, do I measure up? Other people that don't post things on there, but they spend hours after hours cyber-stalking everybody and anyone they know, comparing what they're projecting to a world that is fake to what they know is true. And they look at their new friend from third grade that all of a sudden is posting them eating lobster tail with this giant rock of a diamond. And you look at it and you see the peanut butter jelly sandwich with jelly dripping on your keyboard and crumbs all over your desk. And you wonder, what's wrong with me? My life stinks. Comparisons. The tape measure. Sooner or later, you continue to pull it out. You continue to compare yourself to others until finally... You break. See, the thing is, is that the tape measures go with us in everywhere we go in our lives. As you walked into church today, many of you, you brought your tape measure with you. You don't want to acknowledge it, but you know that it's so true. That as you walked into church today, you know what your life was like this last week. You know the garbage that went on. You know all of the frustrations. You know of the internal doubts that roll through your mind over and over again. And you're measuring yourself against everyone else. And just as the worship team was singing a song, you looked over and you saw that super Christian with their arms raised up high in the air 
and you look down at their Bible and you notice that they actually remember to bring it to church. And you notice that it's worn, but it's not too worn. And so you start to compare yourself. You start to measure your internal doubts by them carrying out their gifts that God has given you. Them. Comparisons. Tape measures. What about this? What about when you meet somebody for the very first time? You normally say, hi, I'm so-and-so, what's your name? What's the question that often follows? What do you do for a living? And right away, you're waiting, and you're just hoping that they don't say, my name is Steve, and I'm a brain surgeon. Because <laughs> you don't want to acknowledge that maybe you don't measure up, because your job isn't as glamorous as you think that it should be. Comparisons. Tape measures. We walk around with them, we wrestle with them, and we can't get away from them. And as a result of it, as a result of a, a culture that values comparisons, as a result of being caught in this trap of comparisons, many people have believed that they're inferior, a feeling that we're not measuring up, that we're less than other people, less than, than some ideal that our culture has said that we need to attain differences, tape measures, that have been running through our minds for years. We're not like one of our coworkers. We're not as athletic or as beautiful or we don't have the same personality as our brother or our sister. Perhaps your mom and dad weren't so subtle in the way that they favored one child over another. Or just maybe, just maybe, when you were in school, your teacher had a pet and it wasn't you. Or even today, as I talk about childhood for a moment, you can remember being out at recess and as they were choosing teams, whether it was for basketball or kickball, you weren't the first one picked, you were the last. And although nobody ever told you so, you had this view as you compared yourself to everyone else that you didn't measure up, that you're not good enough. Or maybe even as an adult, you look around and you think, man, I, didn't, I just didn't make it in life as much as other people have. I don't live in that neighborhood. I don't make as much money as other people do. I'm just not good compared to whoever it is you're comparing yourself to. You think you're not as intelligent. You're not as socially smooth. You're not like so-and-so. We've all dealt with comparisons. We've all wrestled with them in our minds and in our hearts. And we've struggled with comparing ourselves to others and comparing ourselves to expectations and standards that not one of us is ever meant to meet. We're trapped in a world of comparisons. And whether your comparisons are ones that just kind of hit your mind for a moment and move right along, or whether you're trapped in a sea of comparisons where you can't look at somebody else without comparing yourself and your insecurities to your perceived best about them. Comparisons. Tape measures. See, comparisons aren't limited to us just as Americans. We look in the Bible and you see example after example after example of people who dealt with comparisons. Look all the way at the beginning and think of Cain and Abel. Cain compared his gift to the Lord against his brothers. And when his gift didn't quite measure up, he killed Abel in order to be the top gift giver. Comparison led to jealousy, which led to the very first murder. Or what about Sarah? Sarah measured her worth by her inability to have children. Leah and Rachel, they were sisters and they compared their physical beauty based on a race to get married first. Saul measured himself against King David and he literally went crazy trying to measure up 
Martha measured herself up against her sister Mary. And she tried to determine who was the more spiritual one between them. Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus, or Martha, who prepared and served Jesus. What about the disciples? Time after time, they asked Jesus, Jesus, who's going to sit at your right? Jesus, who's going to sit at your left? Jesus, who's the most important of us? Comparisons over and over. The Bible is full, just as if we were honest with ourselves. This room is full of characters that get stuck behind the stoned of comparison. We're in the middle of a series called Breakthrough. And in this series, we're wrestling with different things, different stones that are getting in the way from us to be able to truly worship Jesus freely and not be held back. So are comparisons holding you back? Are you comparing yourself to others in such a way that it's keeping you from worshiping Jesus freely? This morning, in the time that we have together, we're going to look at a great passage of Scripture that illustrates so clearly for us That our God doesn't look at what we look at, and our God doesn't compare in the way that we compare. So if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16. It'll also be up on the screen as well. But to set the context of what's going on in the story, Saul was the king of Israel, but he had been disobedient to God. So God decided to remove him as king. And God directed Samuel the prophet and spiritual leader of the time, to anoint a new king. So God sent Samuel to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, because God said that one of Jesse's sons would be the new king. So Samuel told Jesse that he was going to come to his home to offer a sacrifice and worship God, which would have been an amazing honor for Jesse. So Jesse gathered all of his family, well, almost all of his family, as it turns out. And Samuel was so anxious for God to reveal which one of the sons would be the future king to take the place of King Saul. And so Samuel had Jesse parade in front of him one son after another, after another. And let's see what the scripture says. We'll pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. When they came, he looked on Elab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Aminadad and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Let's unpack this. Let's look at all that happens in the scripture here. The first son that comes before Samuel was Elam, the oldest son. Just curious, how many oldest do we have in here? 
All right. Notice how all of them are so proud about being the oldest kid. <laughs> oldest are proud of being number one. And what does the Bible say that Samuel does? He looks at Elam. And that's significant because so many of us, we too do what Samuel did. We get impressed with what we see. See, Samuel looked at Elam, but with his physical eyes, he could only see his external, his appearance. Surely this is the one, he thought. He looked just like keen material. No doubt he was tall, probably handsome, strong. In fact, we learn later in Scripture that he also was a military kind of man. So from the outside, he had to have been qualified. He had to have been the one. How often do you? How often do you look at someone else's exterior and think that they have it all together? Christian or non? You see them with their neatly pressed clothes, their nice, clean, washed car, their beautiful home with great curb appeal, and think, wow, they've got it together. But what you don't know is their hearts don't match their exteriors. So often, people whose hearts are in disarray do their very best to keep their exterior from reflecting their interior. They work, they strive to cover their hurt or their pain or their deceitfulness with an exterior that projects an image that they want you to believe about them even though it's so far from the truth about who they truly are. See, when Samuel looked at Elib's appearance, he couldn't see his heart. He couldn't see his characters. He couldn't hear his, his thoughts. He couldn't see his attitude. He didn't see, for example, that Elib was a negative and critical kind of person. We get a glimpse into who Elib was when, Je- when David goes to visit at the the battlefield in Elab, and just all this negativity just looks down on his brother for coming out and not staying with the sheep. Samuel, like so many of us, could have stopped at the surface with the physical, with the outside, with what is projected by people, except for God made it so clear to Samuel that Elab was not the one. See, that had been the problem with Saul after all. Saul was tall and oppressive, a head taller than anyone else. But the problems with Saul were so much deeper than the exterior. They were deeper than what eyes could see. Saul's heart was filled with self, with fear, with paranoia, with a cunning heart, instead of a heart after God. So then Samuel moved on. He assumed, well, hey, if it can't be Elab, then it's got to be one of these others. And as one after another, after another, after another passed before Samuel, God didn't speak. God didn't confirm. So believing God's word, Samuel asked if there were any others. And almost as if it was an afterthought, Jesse said, well, there is the youngest, but he's out tending the sheep. And I love what the scripture says. Samuel says, we will not sit until he is here. Imagine that. Imagine when assembling his sons to come, when Samuel the prophet is coming to their home, Jesse, for whatever reason, chose not to bring his youngest son to the party, chose not to present his youngest son to Samuel. Whether Jesse, as a father, was comparing one child against another and thought David was unworthy, we don't know. But nonetheless, David was left out in the fields, and God had not said, of any of those other brothers, were going to be king. 
And as we think about it, as we start to unpack it a little bit more, we start to think about who David's character is. David wasn't forcing himself and saying, wait, 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 dad, 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 dad. Samuel the prophet's coming. I want to be there. Let me be there. No, with the utmost of humility, David stayed out in the fields tending to his sheep. And it's with that kind of heart, the heart of a shepherd, the heart that would care for, the heart that would lead, the heart that would love God's people, that was the kind of heart that God was looking for. So Samuel and all the brothers and whoever else was there that scripture doesn't tell us, they had to wait. And wait, they did. See, God wanted a shepherd's heart. God wanted somebody that would lead people as gently and wisely as a shepherd would care for his flock. That's why God wanted a man after his own heart. That's why he wanted someone like David. And so finally, David arrives. And unlike Saul, the first king, and unlike Elab and all the other brothers, David was young. He was inexperienced according to everybody's perspective. But God reminded Samuel of what he views in a man. Go back to the scripture and look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. While David at this point was young, average, and inexperienced, his heart was large towards God. And so it was that God said to Samuel, he's the one. He's the one. Anoint him as king. So as we unpack this today, as we look at it from a few different angles, what is comparison costing us? How does it fit our lives today as American Christians in 2016? If you want to take notes, just a few things to be able to jot down. Uh, the first thing that I see what happens when we're stuck behind comparison is it keeps us from being who God created us to be. It keeps us from being who God created us to be. How often and how easily do we use external things to evaluate ourselves and to judge other people? We forget that God has a complete different way of looking at us and looking at others. We may judge ourselves and each other by our net worth, by our job or our title, by our kids and their perceived, perceived successes, or even by the clothes that we wear. But when we lose our focus and we get hung up on who we are compared to how we, in comparison to someone else, we truly lose who it is that God created us to be. We end up more like a chameleon, changing and drifting away from who we really are until we no longer know who it is that God created us to be and what it is that we're surrounded by as we try to blend to whoever it is so that we can compare or so that we can measure up. And as a result, we forget our true worth, our gifts, the singular place in this world that God created for you and for me to be here for. So that's why God removed Saul from the equation while he took him out of the throne. Saul was so concerned to please the voices of people that he could no longer hear the voice of God. God chose David because he wasn't worried about trying to fit in, trying to be someone that he wasn't, trying to be something that God hadn't created him to be. David was a boy whose heart would come to follow God. He wasn't his brothers. He wasn't what everyone else expected, Samuel included. He was 
who God created him to be, and he was king material. See, comparison is such an ugly and deadly trap. The road to comparing ourselves with others is hard and it's unyielding because no matter how we strive and we achieve, there will always be somebody that is bigger or thinner or smarter or more talented than we are. Or maybe let me rephrase that. There will always be someone in your mind that is bigger or thinner or smarter or more talented than you are. And at the end of the road of comparison is jealousy, bitterness, and resentment. The second thing that I see is that comparison robs us of contentment. Comparison robs us of contentment. I love the author, um, Steve Farr. He wrote the book Point Man. And I love how he illustrates so clearly um, about contentment. So let me just share a little bit from his book. He said, we moved from California where we had a small backyard and, and I had a little push mower. Well, we moved to Little Rock and suddenly I had a backyard that was a third of an acre. The first day I mowed the grass was in August. The temperature was 100 degrees and the humidity was over 90%. Side note, aren't you glad you live in California? He said, but when I was done, I had a real sense of contentment. Our house was about 10 years old, had a fresh coat of white paint, and with the, the manicured green grass, it looked great. He continues. He said, I went in to get some iced tea and sit down. I was just flipping through a magazine to relax, and I saw an article about a couple who had redone their kitchen. It had all the before and after pictures, from old stained countertops to beautiful granite from hardly any cupboard space to French doors with a rotating pantry. He says, I flipped the page and there was another article about a couple who had redone their back deck. It was incredible. It followed the contour of the land and it even had a barbecue area. He says, I was out of tea at this point. I went in the kitchen to get more and as I walked in, I stopped cold and I looked at our kitchen. I saw the old countertops. I went to the pantry to get some sugar. It didn't rotate. There weren't any French doors. He says, suddenly I wasn't pleased with our kitchen. I thought, why do we live in such a roach trap like this anyways? He says, I looked at my back deck, which I enjoyed all day. And I thought, you know, I've seen firewood in better shape than that deck. In a seven-minute period, I went from a state of contentment to being discontent. All from looking at a magazine. I looked at better kitchen and better decks and I was suddenly discontented with what I had. So let me ask you a question. Do you find that comparisons are costing you contentment in your life? I love what Howard Hendricks says about comparison. He says, comparison is the favorite indoor sport of Christians. Whether I compare my ministry, my house, or my car to someone else's, it's just endless. There's always something better than what we have. Influenza used to kill people. Now we have to deal with affluenza. Comparison kills contentment. In professional sports, there are athletes who make more in one year than many of us will make in a lifetime. But yet, because they perceive that they are the very best at their profession, they see somebody else who gets a contract where they make even a dollar more than they do. They get so discontent in that moment that they're willing to not go be part of the team. They're willing to set out. They're willing to do everything to make the point 
that they're the best and they deserve to be paid the most. Jesse, whether intentionally or not, compared his sons. He compared one son against another against another. And for some reason, he chose to leave his youngest out tending the sheep. For those of us that are parents here in this room, and I know that there are many, the greatest contribution that we get to make in the lives of our children is first of all to introduce our, our children to Jesus as Lord and Savior. But second of all is to help them to see that they don't have an identity based on their comparison to the children in their classes or to what our culture says is valuable. But their identity comes through and in Christ Jesus. Do you communicate the message to your children that God is well pleased with them and that he is going to use them in a remarkable way? Or are you like Jesse, where you leave one child or maybe a couple of children say, well, they're just not going to quite measure up. We're, all, we're not all destined to be kings, but every one of us has been created uniquely by our God, and he has given gifts and abilities that are absolutely amazing to each and every one of your children. God has called us as parents to robe our children with a kingdom value, to crown them with a God identity so that they can accomplish the amazing things that God has set out for them to do. Remember, just as you and I are being bombarded with messages of what we're supposed to be measuring up to, our kids also are struggling with comparisons. They wrestle with the kids in their class. They wrestle with what our culture says. They wrestle with the lies that the evil one throws at them. And our kids need to know from mom, from dad, from grandma, and from grandpa that their identity is not them compared to someone else, but them in eyes of Christ Jesus. The next thing that comparison brings is comparison brings out some really ugly attitudes. C.S. Lewis made this observation. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Pride is such a sly thing. It just weasels its way in so many different ways. And there are times that in your life and in my life that we allow pride to get in the way where we want to compare ourselves to someone that we view that are less than ourselves so that we can take pride in who it is that we are. Let me call that what that is. That's sin. And you and I both wake up each and every day dealing with different types of pride in different ways. And we can either walk in our pride and walk in sin, or we can take that pride and lay it at the foot of the cross and allow Jesus to free us from that pride and to free us from the comparison as we want to relate ourselves to other people. That pride comes in so many different ways. From thoughts in our mind of, well, I'm more godly because I raise my hands while I worship. Or comparisons of sitting in a church and, and throwing $20 in the pot and saying, wow. Pat me on the back, look how godly I am today. Or maybe, just maybe, in your self-righteousness and your moral standing, you stand so high in the air so that your mighty halo won't fall off of your head as you and your pride look down on other people as you compare yourself to those that are so far away from Jesus. You know what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3? He says, do not think higher of yourself than you ought. Because comparison leads to judgmentalism. 
And I'm sorry to disappoint you, but you nor I am the judge nor the jury. You are just as unworthy as I am and as unworthy as the person that you want to compare yourself to. Comparison also brings out envy. And envy can be so ugly. Flip one chapter over in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28. And listen to what happens as David goes to fight Goliath. Listen to the response of his older brother as envy rears its ugly face. Now Elab, his oldest brother, heard him when he spoke to the men. And Elab's anger was kindled. The NIV says that he burned with anger against David. And he said, why have you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil in your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. Elab, being the oldest brother, struggled with envy and comparison. I'm sure deep down within him, Elab wanted to be the man or the boy in this case that had the courage to stand up to God's enemy, that had the courage to stand up to Goliath, the giant. And Elab, in that moment, compared himself to David. And in his envy, he burned with anger. A simple comparison can lead down the slippery slope from pride to envy and eventually to anger. Are there times like for you where you're like Elib? Maybe it's with a sibling or a friend or even a spouse. Where you're envious of their success or their personality. Where you're envious of their giftedness or their talents where you're envious of their relationship with God or whatever it is that you're envious of what they have. See, envy costs us relationships. And in this moment for Elib, it cost him the opportunity to be the greatest cheerleader and supporter of his brother David when David and the nation of Israel needed it the most. Comparisons keep us from being who God created us to be. They rob us of contentment. And when we're honest with ourselves, they bring out some pretty ugly qualities, including the qualities of pride, envy, and even anger. So let me ask you the question. Are comparisons costing you in your life? Are they impacting your life for the negative? How are your comparisons helping in your relationship with God? And as you think about that tape measure that you have in your life, are you measuring yourself up against standards that our world says? Or do you believe the truth that although God didn't create every single one of us to be kings, he created us uniquely in such a way that there's no need to measure ourselves against anyone else? And the little bit amount of time that I have left, I want to take from what comparisons do and give you great ways to take and move away from comparisons in your life. And it's something that maybe comes across as simple, but sometimes I think we try to make things so complex that we miss out on the simplicity of how to allow God to work in our hearts and in our lives. The, th- the thing about it is, is that the comp- in order to get away from the comparison stone, from it being a trap, we need to turn that trap into prayer of blessing and learn the blessing of celebrating other people's successes. When that person that you were up against for that new job, when you found out that they got the new job and you didn't, instead of getting bitter and envious, stop and pray. 
and say, God, I am so happy for that person. I'm so glad that, God, you chose to bless that person in that way. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, God, that you are going to have something even better for me. And God, in faith, I'm just going to wait on you. Or when somebody gets that blessing, whether it's a new car or a new boat or new house or something so simple, and you're jealous of them, instead of allowing jealousy to seep down in your heart, instead take that jealousy and make it a prayer on your heart. It says, God, I thank you for how you're blessing that person, how you're blessing that family in remarkable ways. And God, I, I thank you that you also bless me in remarkable ways in my life. God, help me to see the blessings. Help me to see in the amazing ways that you were doing in my life. You know what happens? Is when we move from jealousy, contentment, anger, envy, and all that, and we move to celebration, celebration kills, takes a kill shot right at envy and comparison. Listen to this definition of envy that I came across. Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. Let me say that one more time. Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. See, in order for us to move past comparison, we need to acknowledge God's goodness, first of all, in our own lives, but also God's goodness in other people's lives as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 9 says, Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Enjoy the amazing blessings that God has poured into you, into your family, into those that you love and cherish, and even to those people that, if you were honest with yourself, you really don't like. But God loves them just the same. Today, when you leave this place, or tomorrow, or this week, when you get in your car and you sit down and you say, I hate this stupid car. No, 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 no. Turn that from a hatred to a prayer and say, God, I thank you for this car even though it doesn't run all of the time, I thank you, God, that you have put me in the 8% in this world that have a car to get from point A to point B. When you go home today and you look for the sugar from your pantry and you too notice that your pantry doesn't have a lazy Susan in it or French doors, instead of saying, God, why can't I have my kitchen remodeled? God, why can't I live in a newer house? Why can't I whatever it is? Instead, turn that why can't I to God, thank you for how, what I can. Thank you, God, that I have a roof over my head. Thank you that I can go to a faucet and I can turn on clean running water. And that, God, I'm in the 50% of people in this world that actually have plumbing with clean water in my home. Next time you're tempted to complain about your kids. Next time you're tempted to complain about your family. Stop right there and say, God, thank you that you've entrusted me to raise up your image bearers for the next generation of Christ followers. Thank you, God, for the family members. Although my aunt gets on my nerves, you love her just the same. Thank you, God, for people that you've put in my life, that although I feel so busy, that, God, you've given them the desire and me the desire to want to spend time together, to have an iron-sharpening-iron type of relationship. Instead of comparing... Turn your comparison to praise. Instead of being envious, turn your envious to gratitude and allow God to do amazing work as instead of being in a life of comparison, you move to a life of contentment. I'll leave you with the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He says, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. And my friends, that's my prayer for you, and that's my prayer for me. As we go about our daily lives this week, this month, and days and months to come, that we'll walk in a spirit of contentment, not in a spirit of comparison. And as we continue through this series called Breakthrough, it's been amazing to hear the breakthroughs that our God is doing in this church and in your lives. And I know that for maybe some of you, this hits you right between the eyes, and others of you, you think, you know what, Scott, I don't necessarily struggle with comparisons. But I do know if you were honest with yourself, every single one of us struggle with something. And what our God wants to do is he wants to break through whatever it is that is keeping you from worshiping Jesus freely. And so if that for you this morning means that you need to spend some time wrestling with him, I invite you to come to the foot of the cross, to come up front during our worship time, to be able to worship our good shepherd and allow him through the power of the Holy Spirit just to massage your heart and have a breakthrough. Maybe this last week, you had an amazing breakthrough in your life. And maybe you want to come to the foot of the cross, not out of an angle of having to wrestle, but out of an angle where you just want to worship Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who you've created me to be. I don't know what it is for you, but I do know this. For us to come to church, to go through the motions of raising our hands, singing a song, listening to a message, comparing ourselves to others, and going about about our daily lives. It's not what God intended us to do. God wants to do a breakthrough in your life. How are you going to allow him to do it? That's for you to wrestle with him. Will you join me in prayer? Father, as I think about my life and I think about every life here in this place, Father, although you didn't create us to be the king of a nation, you created us to be the king or queen of our homes. And you gifted us in amazing ways. That you give us amazing gifts, God, to be able to shepherd our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, whoever it is that you've given us the opportunity to influence. And God, today, as we wrestle with comparisons, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you will break down those stones of comparison in our lives. Whether one mom comparing herself to another mom, whether one dad comparing himself to another dad, whether it's one coworker comparing themselves to another coworker. God, help us to know and acknowledge that you have created and gifted us in supernatural ways for a purpose that is solely yours. And God, may we not compare our giftedness to what somebody else has been gifted with, because God, you don't make mistakes. You never have and you never will. God, we are not a mistake. Our gifts, our abilities are not a mistake, and God, you've given us them not to compare against someone else, but to use them for a purpose that is solely yours. So Holy Spirit, Break those stones. Break that envy out of our heart. Break those comparison thoughts away. God, take that tape measure and break it apart. God, there's no measuring that needs to happen except for in the measure of our faith in Christ Jesus, and only you are the judge of that. And so, Father, today, help us to fall more and more in love with you. Help us to see you in a whole new light, and help us, God, through the power of your hand, not in our strength, not in our abilities, but in your strength, to see breakthrough so that we can worship, so that we can know you, so that we can praise you in a whole new way. We love you and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen.